You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 130, Pagers, PDAs, and Cell Phones. Hello, and welcome to episode 130 of You Don't Know Flack. Today is actually Monday, April 8th, 2013, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. Today on You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about pagers, PDAs, and cell phones. As many of you know, I am now storing the podcast on my Commodore 64, and it takes about 10 minutes to load, so let's get that started loading right now. As I type some fake keys there. And, um... The podcast is now loading off of the Commodore 64, and it takes about 10 minutes to load, so this portion of the program is known as Loading Time, where we have our little chats about news and updates and shout-outs and all that good stuff while the podcast is loading. So, what can we talk about this week? Well, let's start with the elephant in the room, which is, where have the last two weeks' podcast been? And that is a great question. Um... When I started this podcast uh, around New Year's, I pledged that I would do a new episode every week. And so this is not an excuse about that. Um, but um, when I made that schedule, that self-imposed schedule, I was not working on this project that I'm working on at work right now, which is um, not only killing me, <laughs> uh, it has had some uh, 60 and 70 hour weeks involved but now uh, it has also turned into quite a bit of travel and uh, starting a couple of weeks ago that included travel where I traveled out on Sunday which is when I normally record the podcast and traveled back on Saturday and so while I did have a lovely time in Seattle last week I uh, pretty much ate up all my podcast recording time for two weekends back-to-back traveling. And uh, as many of you know, I hate flying. I just talked about that, I think, on the last episode that I greatly prefer to drive. But because of this trip and because Seattle is a good 2,000 miles away from Oklahoma, I did end up flying and everything went okay. And uh, so that's pretty much that. I actually did take all my podcast equipment with me. On this trip, I took uh, my netbook, my uh, Acer netbook, which there's a podcast episode where I talked about buying that, and um, I think I bought it in 2009, and I think I stopped using it that same year. (laughs) Uh, The netbook was a, uh, I don't want to call it a fad, but it never really caught on for me. Um, It's underpowered. It has a uh, one point something gigahertz processor and one gig of RAM, so it really crawls with the Windows 7 installed on it, which is what's on there right now. I installed uh, Linux on there at one point, but I couldn't find all the drivers to get everything functioning on the netbook, so it does have Windows on it. I took that along with my Blue Yeti, so I added about, uh, you know, eight pounds in my backpack, and I drug this all across the country to Seattle and back, and uh, I ended up staying in a hotel that had walls that were, like, made out of paper, and so... (laughs) 
Um, I could literally hear conversations of people in rooms all around me. I could hear when people flush their toilets. Um, I could even hear the guy snoring next to me uh, when he went to bed. So I really didn't feel like I wanted to sit in there and record a podcast um, because I knew everybody around me would be listening and I'd be bothering people. So I didn't do that. Uh, But here I am. I'm back at home. I've got everything hooked back up. I'm ready to record again. Another thing you'll notice on this episode is, at least for now, I have dropped the intro music for the first part of the show. And, um, I don't know, there's something, uh, I listened to the last one on headphones while I was on the plane, and, uh, I had some listeners give me feedback that the music was too loud and drowning out what I said, and when I listened to it in my computer room, it sounded perfect, but on headphones, I have to agree with you, the music was too loud. And, um, really it's just not worth the effort to, to go back and, um, mess with it over and over. So for now I'm dropping the music. I may mess with it again later on. Uh, the next thing I need to do is work on the squeaky chair. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's, uh, it's terrible. And now I, uh, can't, I have to be perfectly still while I'm recording. So, um, I'll be taking donations for, uh, WD-40 for the podcast. That'll be the next fundraiser, uh, that I do. Uh, let's see what else. Um, a week before last, I was one of the guest hosts on the Adventure Club podcast, which is hosted by Guy Hutchison and John Jay. Um, those guys were super cool to be on. I really enjoy their podcast. I'm going to pull up the, uh, well, there's all the fake typing I did a minute ago. The website is just Adventure Club Podcast, and that actually, uh, they have their own little podcast network. Those guys are involved in a lot of different projects. Um, they have the, uh, Camel Clutch Cinema podcast, the Adventure Club podcast. They have additional, uh, interviews that they've done with people. So if you pull up, uh, adventureclubpodcast.com, uh, and pull up, uh, episode 59, that's the one I was on. I was also on with, uh, Josh Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz, well, I'm not going to say that right, from Dateline NBC. Uh, the Adventure Club podcast, man, they really, both of the guys, uh, or or, uh, I know a guy is involved in, uh, he's an actual radio DJ. I mean, these guys have professional experience with recording and writing and doing stuff. They really have a top-notch product. So uh, I was really thrilled to be on their show, and I'm looking forward to hooking up with those guys again in the near future. So um, I am now a uh, podcast guest for hire. (laughs) I do birthday parties, computer, home, uh, network, I'm a computer tech and birthday parties and now podcast host. So there you go. The multifaceted Rob Flack O'Hara. Available for parties. Children's parties. Anyway, let's see what else is going on. Adventure Club Podcast. Check those guys out. Uh, A couple of different things that popped up on my radar while I was out of town. One is the newest issue of Commodore Free was released. And that is a online magazine. that It's free to read. You can get it in PDF, or you can read it online, whatever. Uh, and that is at CommodoreFree.com. If you go to CommodoreFree.com forward slash issues, um, I think it's .html. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, CommodoreFree.com forward slash issues.html. You can see all the latest issues, or the latest issue, and all the back issues. I, I'm amazed. You know, I just, I just spent a little time going through that, like I said, while I was... Uh, uh, on the airplane, actually, on the iPad, I had the PDF. And I'm amazed that this online magazine is filled with ads for brand new Commodore games. I mean, people are still releasing Commodore software 
brand new cartridge games. There's all kinds of stuff out there. So uh, if you are a Commodore person, you know, sometimes it feels like we're alone in these little retro bubbles, like we're just sitting by ourselves playing with computers and and um, that there's not other people out there doing stuff, releasing stuff, things like that. So uh, go check out that magazine and, and you'll see how much uh, development software is actually still being done. So, uh, yeah, Commodore Free. That's a, a great little free magazine. Also, uh, I believe it was mentioned in Commodore Free, but I saw this pop up over Twitter last week as well, uh, that a uh, fellow named Norbert released an uh, Asteroids emulator for the Commodore. So this is not a port of Asteroids. This is like MAME, uh, an emulator, but uh, a dedicated emulator for Asteroids that runs on the Commodore 64. In fact, I'm going to pull this up because I believe, yes, uh, that he also ported it for the Atari 800 uh, and to the Commodore Plus 4. So this is um, really just unbelievable uh, to me, you know, um, to think that the Commodore 64, there's a a version for the 128. Uh, This guy is just, I'm just amazed that anybody could pull this off, you know, and especially on something that... uh, you know, on, on a, such a retro system, uh, it's just unbelievable. And like I said, I just love when people do new stuff with old hardware, you know, I just really enjoy that. So before we get started with this episode, I want to mention this week's, uh, sponsor, which is vintage volts. And I just heard, um, uh, about vintage volts recently from the, uh, retro computing Roundtable. Um, but Vintage Volts, you can find out uh, all about Vintage Volts at VintageVolts.com. The website, uh, the tagline is The Way Electronics Used to Be. And uh, my wife has referred to me as the collector of collections before. I mean, you know, I, I find these little things and all of a sudden I have a lot of those little things. And I have lots of collections of little things. Uh, but this guy is into everything vintage and electronic. Uh, some of the articles on the front page of his website right now, I mean, he's got stuff about pinball machines. He's got stuff about uh, boom boxes. Of course, he has a little uh, thing about his appearance on the Retro Computing Roundtable. Uh, just er- everything that's that's retro and electronic, this guy's into. I mean, he just has, going through his blog, I, I spent a better part of today just going through uh, you know some of his old blog postings and stuff. So really awesome website. Be sure to check out VintageVolts.com. And what's really cool about that this week is that he's into all these old electronic gadgets, which is exactly what this week's episode of You Don't Know Flack is about. So with that, let's get started with episode 130 of You Don't Know Flack. On this week's show, I'll be talking about pagers, PDAs, and cell phones. And specifically, my first experiences with those devices. So thinking back, um, in the early to mid-80s, really I associated pagers with um, doctors and nurses, people in the medical industry. I think that's the first people uh, that really adopted pagers, you know. So you used to see people like doctors on TV getting pages. People were always getting paged to report to a room or something like that. So I saw that. Um, and then in the late 80s, early 90s, I graduated in 91, but around 89, I would say, um, maybe as, uh, I would say 89, maybe early 90, I discovered uh, gangster rap. <laughs> uh, specifically um, NWA, 
Easy E. We had the whole slew of movies during that time. We had Boys in the Hood, um, New Jack City. I was into um, Ice T, original gangster. Uh, and, you know, that culture introduced pagers, I think, to um, the mainstream. And obviously, they were associated with drug dealers. So you would page your drug dealer, you know, to call you or something like that. But drug dealers, you know, had pagers. And so then, you know, I guess as part of that, uh, the gang, uh, gangster rap, that whole culture, you would have pagers. And then because of that, I wanted a pager. And yes, I was one of those um, ridiculous kids driving around with uh, giant speakers in my car with uh, uh, my Raiders hoodie on and my uh, black socks baseball cap and sunglasses at night and all those ridiculous things yes but um uh i don't think i knew anybody at that time that had a pager the first people i personally knew that had pagers um were actually managers and assistant managers in the fast food industry a lot of the fast food places i worked at the assistant managers and managers had pagers so that if there was a problem with the store or something, of course, this again, you know, this predates, um, uh, you know, normal, regular folk uh, having cell phones. So if you wanted to get a hold of somebody, you know, you could page them and, and um, you know, put in the phone number, and then they would call you back. And of course, there was always that um, weird thing when you got a page and it was a phone number you didn't know. Um, lots of times, you would page people from, uh, you know, a payphone, and so there was always that that moment where you would call the payphone back. This is back when payphones accepted incoming calls, right? And, um, you know, you'd call somebody and, um, you know, you, you never were quite sure who you were calling. So that, that was always a little weird. Um, so in 1994, as I uh, talked about on a previous episode, I started working at Best Buy. And Best Buy sold pagers. And so I still didn't have one. But I really wanted one, and I had um, uh, one of my coworkers, Brian, had a pager, and people would always page him, and I thought that was the coolest thing, you know. And, and I, uh, I had no actual purpose for owning a pager. I had no reason to own a pager, but I really wanted one. And and um, Best Buy had this display area um, with pagers and you know early cell phones uh, that were like hollow um plastic shells so they weren't they weren't real pagers or phones or anything they were just supposed to show you what the models look like this would keep people um you know from stealing them or whatever right but i ended up getting one of those fake hollow plastic pagers and it looked exactly like a real pager and i used to wear it around <laughs> so people would think i had a pager which is just so stupid um, but you know, so I would wear this pager around and I, I even remember like a couple of times, like people would be at Best Buy. Um, and if I, like, I remember one time specifically the, um, the horror of Best Buy. when I started at Best Buy, I worked in the computer department and the absolute aisle that you did not want to get caught on was the printer aisle because, you know, people would come up and ask you 8 million questions. You know, all we, that was like, um, right during the birth of uh, color bubble jet printers. So we had 8 million color bubble jet printers. And people would say, well, what's the difference between this one and this one? And what does this one do that this one doesn't do? And nobody had any idea. I mean, all we would do is look at the box and guess and be like, well, this one prints pictures of parrots. It looks like that, you know. Um, and some of them had a, 
later they had a demo button that you could press and it would print something up, but most of them didn't even have that. So you were just, you know, looking at the exact same information the customer had and just guessing, you know, um, what the difference was in these printers. So you, I avoided the printer aisle at all costs. And one time I remember uh, this old couple, God bless them, <laughs> on the printer aisle and they're asking me a million questions. And then I just remember picking up this fake pager off my belt and saying something like, oh, hold on, we got a security thing or something like that. And I just walked off. And then I probably went to the break room and hid until they left or something. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was that was my first pager. It wasn't even really a pager. It was a fake pager uh, from Best Buy. But, um, anyway, uh, my friend Josh ended up getting a pager. And um, Josh had a whole system. Like, if you paged Josh, um, you know, when you when you paged people, I don't even know, I, I guess there's people on this um, listening to this that may be young enough that you never called somebody with a pager. But, um, you know, when you when you called somebody, it would say, enter your phone number, and then the idea was that that person would see the, the phone number, it would be displayed, and they would call you back. But um, you could build in this system uh, amongst your friends where maybe, like, you know, my parents, I would tell them they're number one, right? So whenever you would page, you know, if they would page me, I don't think my parents ever called my pager, but, uh, so they would put in a phone number. Obviously I would recognize their phone number, but again, so you put in the phone number and then you could put like a pound symbol and then put a one. So when I got the page, I would see the phone number, a pound, and then a one. So I would know who it was. So Josh had this whole system where, uh, you know, people could page him and then put a number. And so everybody was assigned a number. And I think there were even different, um, numbers you would put like, like, Hey, I'm running late or so. I don't know. Like there was some sort of system, but, um, uh, but anyway, I just thought that was the coolest thing. Like I thought, God, I need a pager <laughs> for no reason. Like I, there was no, and there's nothing anybody has ever needed to get a hold of me. Really? I mean, that was an emergency like that, but, but I decided I needed a pager. So I went to the flea market and found this place that sold pagers, and I think it was about, I don't know, $30 or something like that, and I bought this pager, and their service, I remember, was six ninety five a month, and it was not credit card or anything like that. It was cash, and you paid at the flea market. So once a month, I would go out to this flea market and go to this booth and pay these people cash, and I did this for, like, I don't know, a year, something like that. I mean, much longer than I should have. But, uh, so that was my first pager. And also, um, I think it was like kind of see-through, like translucent purple. Um, which is stupid if you think about it. Uh, but I, so I had my pager and so I would give out my pager number to people. Um, and then I would, you know, I, like, I can hardly remember anybody ever paging me. I mean, like, at that time, you know, um, I was probably still at Best Buy or maybe had just left Best Buy and uh, had started working out where I work now. But regardless, you know, I worked at places that had telephones. And, um, you know, so I had access. It wasn't like I worked in the desert or something like that. You know, I had, people had access to me. So I don't know why I felt like I needed I. I guess I just really wanted a pager because I saw other people that had pagers, but, um, that was, that was pretty much when I had a pager. Um, you know, I mentioned it previously that in 1996, I moved from Oklahoma to Spokane 
And I know I didn't have the pager when I moved, so I must have got rid of it before that time. So, um, not real excitement with the pager. It was kind of a, a fun thing, and, and uh, obviously it worked in conjunction with pay phones. Um, and so, you know, when, when cell phones came out, it kind of killed both pay phones um, and pagers. I mean, there was not, not really a big use for it anymore, so... Uh, so anyway, that was, that was my pager. Um, but now let's talk about PDAs. So as I've said, I worked at Best Buy, uh, 94, 95. Um, uh, we sold the Apple Newton. I remember having them in our display case. I remember showing them to a couple of people and I remember not really understanding its function. Like I didn't understand why people would want this thing. Like, why would you want something that's big and ugly to carry around with phone numbers when you could just write people's phone numbers on a card and put it in your wallet or whatever, you know, like the whole concept of a digital, um, organizer just didn't really make sense to me, you know? Um, and it wasn't until I saw a Palm pilot that I finally, you know, got it. When I saw a Palm pilot, I was like, yeah, I need one of those. Um, and that, you know, when the Palm Pilot came out, I don't even remember. It was, um, you know, I think I got a Palm three was the first one I got. And, um, if you've never seen one, I mean, it looks like, it almost looks like a smartphone in a way. It almost looks, um, like a modern smartphone. It, you know, uh, it was roughly the same size, maybe a little bit bigger, um, probably the same size as the bigger smartphones that are out there now. And it was the Palm three or the Palm pilots. The the Palm three is the one I had it was gray and it had a little flip cover that flipped over to protect the screen. And, and everything was done with a stylus. So you would, um, to enter text, there was this little, like, I don't know, half inch by half inch square, maybe three quarters by three quarter inch square, something like that at the bottom and you had to write all your letters in that square and you had to use palms graffiti language which was not exactly like writing letters but it was fairly intuitive like to write the letter a uh, i think you started in the lower left and kind of like went up and down like a little triangle you know like uh you know like a letter a like a capital a so you would go up down uh and that would make an a and a B would be like, actually, I think the B was just like a capital B, but, but not all of them were, were exactly like the, the, you know, the actual letters and, and all of them were done without lifting the stylus. So once you lifted the stylus, that would tell the Palm Pilot you were changing letters. Uh, and then I think you drew a line up to make it caps or, um, and two ups would be all caps, things like that. Um, so once you got, I mean, you had to learn, uh, the graffiti language, but once you learned it, you could write, um, almost as fast as you would write, you know, in like with a pencil, not, I mean, not quite, but, but you could, it was pretty efficient. And, um, the apps it came with were, um, I know there was one for like tracking your money, you know, like when you spend money, like a little checkbook kind of thing. And, and of course you had, um, you know, a little app for taking notes and, um, you had your, your phone book or your contact thing. Um, you know, for, for years, the phone book and the contacts that I had on my cell phone were the ones 
that I start. I probably have ones in my iPhone that I originally put in on my uh, Palm Pilot just because I have converted that contact list, you know, from device to device to device, uh, and so I've had some of those with me forever. Um, but I but I have this little Palm Three, and I, you know, I explained it one time to Mason. I said it was like a smartphone but without the phone, <laughs> like you, you know, no phone functions. You couldn't call anybody, but. It was your little organizer, and you kept all your stuff in there, and I carried it around with me. Um, and then there were apps that you could buy, or, you know, just like anything else. Um, you, you didn't have to jailbreak it or anything. People just cracked um, the programs for it. And so I would download all these programs and try it out. And and uh, I had some app for, like, tracking my mileage in the car. And, and there were a lot of little games, like Checkers and Chess and Connect Four and stuff like that. My favorite app, was called Pocket Monkey. And I think originally it was actually called Crack Monkey, but then it got changed. Um, but it was uh, Pocket Monkey is the version I had. And there were four different things on the, you know, there was like, um, you remember the little, uh, I think they were Tamagotchis, is that what they were called? The little Japanese um, little virtual pet things. Well, it was like a virtual pet. And it was a little monkey. And there were four things you could do. Like you could feed him, uh, a banana, or you could give him uh, a drink, like a beer. Uh, I'm trying to think what else you could do. Uh, you could give him a ball, and he would throw this ball around and stuff. Oh, and then there was a little uh, broom and dustpan, because after you fed him enough beers, he would pee, and you had to um, clean up the pee, and, and if after a couple of bananas, he would poop, and you have to sweep up the poop. But, um, then there was a second menu you could go to, and you could do things like give him crack. And so you would give the monkey crack and then he would like go crazy and the Palm Pilot would make, you know, this woo kind of noise. And, um, you know, I'll see if I can find a video of this on YouTube, but, uh, you could also shock the monkey. <laughs> and so you would press this little lightning bolt and it would just shock him and he would get really mad and flip you off. And so, um, so I had this, and it would tell you how many days you'd kept the monkey alive. And I had this monkey alive for like, I don't know, over a month. And so I loaned the Palm Pilot to a friend of mine. I was like, you got to check out this thing. And he gave it back to me. He goes, oh, I killed your monkey. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, I just shocked him like 50 times and it killed him. And so there's just this little pile of monkey. It was so sad with flies around him and stuff. And so you have to start all over. But um, yeah, for, for all the um, amazing technological things the Palm Pilot gave me, uh, that was the one that I remember the most was Pocket Monkey. Now, the um, Palm Pilot 3 came with a cradle that allowed you to sync uh, all of your apps and your information, your data, to your computer. And the cradle hooks to your PC through a serial port. Not universal serial port, not a USB, but an actual serial port. And so this was, um, you know, you couldn't plug it in. It wouldn't recognize it if you had already booted. So it wasn't something you could carry with you, like to work and then to home or whatever. So I actually bought a second cradle so I could have one at work and one at home. So you would go there and sync up your data, and then all your contacts and stuff would be available on your computer. And uh, so that's kind of what I was talking about, is I had uh, synced my data up to the computer, and then eventually, uh, and I'm kind of skipping forward into uh, the cell phones here a little bit, but I did eventually buy a Palm Trio 650 cell phone, and... Uh, and, which was compatible with some of that old information, and I was able to sync uh, my phone and contacts into that phone. 
Uh, and later I exported that phone directory out and imported it into my um, Blackjack, and I'm getting kind of getting ahead of myself, but that phone I was able to then sync up to Google Contacts, which I was able to later sync with my uh, iPhone. So I'm, I'm sure without a doubt that some of the contacts that I put in that Palm Pilot 3 way back in um, uh, late 90s was um, definitely are still on my phone. But anyway, um, so the Palm Pilot, yeah, I had that. I really enjoyed it. Um, there was a time where I would go out wearing cargo shorts and have something in every pocket. Like I would have a, my little digital camera in one pocket and I would have my Palm Pilot in a pocket and then I would have a cell phone in a pocket. And, you know, eventually what happened is the smartphones, you know, replaced all these devices. Um, my, uh, the Palm Pilot didn't have a camera. Of course, it didn't act as a phone. So it was like all these different things, you know, my, the cell phones didn't have all the, you know, the, the ability back then to play games and do all that stuff. So, yeah, it kind of complemented the phones, but eventually um, the capabilities of PDAs were absorbed into phones. And so that's eventually killed that market. But I did, uh, you know, when I carried around a Palm Pilot, and this is going to sound dorky, but um, when I was carrying those around, I felt like that was the future. Like, I had a computer... I mean, it had two meg, I think, of storage or something. Uh, I think it did. Yeah, one meg for the the earlier Palm and then two for the the 3CX or whatever. But you did feel like it was the future. Like, people would say, what's this? And you just whoosh, you whip this thing out, you know. Um, the the later, I, I ended up getting a uh, Zyre uh, 72, which was the later version of Palm. And it had a IR port on it. It also had a camera, which was a horrible camera. I mean, it's like a maybe a one megapixel or something. It took horrible pictures. But I, I still have pictures in my photo directory that I took with that um, with that device. But it also uh, had an IR port, and there were apps where you could use it for a remote for your television. There was there was a, um app, or I don't even know if it had an app. Maybe you just had to configure it, where you could go up to, you know, the uh, HP LaserJet printers that had IR ports on the front, and you could walk up to... The, one of those with your Palm Pilot or with Desire and print through the IR port to the printer, you know, so you could write up a document, walk to a printer and print it up. So um doesn't seem secure, <laughs> really, in today's day and age. Um, but yeah, you can do that. So, um, yeah, I, like I said, this is the saddest part of the Palm Pilot. And it's like a lot of technology. Um, there, There's technology that we hang on to. Um, I mean, look at to my left here. I have three retro computers set up side by side. I've got my Amiga, my Commodore, and an Apple II. Um, and these are still things that I enjoy playing with. I play games on. I get new hardware for. I piddle around with them. I do all these cool things, you know, uh, or things that I think are cool. And, um, you know, so I enjoy doing all that. But literally, about a month ago, I threw away a Palm Pilot. I ran across this Palm Pilot, and I don't think I had the cradle anymore. And, um, you know, without the cradle, I think you needed the cradle to, to charge it. And maybe it had batteries. I don't remember. But, you know, point being is, like, I think I even posted on Facebook and Twitter at the time. I was like, you know, what can, what, name me one thing you could do with an old Palm Pilot. And I got no responses. I mean, I got places, you know, suggestions where to stick it, but um, as far as, like, actual, you know, production or productive 
uh, suggestions as to what to do with it. Nobody had any, and so I did end up getting rid of it. So it's funny how um, different technology, I guess, stands the test of time versus other technology. You know, I uh, can't tell you how many uh, computer systems I have picked up over the years, um, complete systems for people who, for whatever reason, got out of the hobby or maybe they had a, a kid that went off to college and they didn't want the system anymore. And so, um, but com- like complete Commodore systems where you get the disk drive and, and the computer and those things are gold and you get a monitor, especially if it's a Commodore brand monitor and that is gold. And then you get a dot matrix printer and you can't give it away. I had a stack of, uh, the original series, the, uh, MPS 801, the 803 and the 805, three different Commodore brand printers that I couldn't give away for free. I first, I tried um, Craigslist. I put them online and said, free, you pay shipping. I found, um, there's a band, and I forgot who it is now, so I'm sorry, but uh, like a retro band, a couple of different people that make music with printers. I contacted those people and said, would you like these printers? And they said, no. (laughs) I literally couldn't give them away. Uh, We went uh, to OVGE one year, and I took them, and I put free on them. And this is a place where retro gamers and retro computer people come to, and I couldn't give it away for free there. And so we ended up leaving it on a table, and then I think um, poor Jesse, um, the uh, crossbow, the organizer of OVGE, was going to get charged because they said people left behind trash. And so we had to go back and get the printer, we put it in a dumpster later or something. But, you know, literally... Uh, so it's just some stuff is the stuff that's useful and that people enjoy and that you can still use today. Um, you know, that stuff maintains and maybe someday, you know, old dot matrix printers will be rare. Uh, and people say, why didn't you save that? But it's just because, you know, they didn't really have any use and maybe someday people would be looking for old Palm pilots and I'll, I'll wish I hadn't thrown that one away. But, um, unfortunately I did. So I will, if you contact me, I'll give you my address uh, to the, <laughs> the nearest city dump, and you could go dig. I actually have, um, I think I have another one around here somewhere. I think I have that Zyre around here somewhere. You know, that's a, a, another thing, uh, real quick, that I should mention is that unlike the modern cases, the modern glass that's on cell phones and the uh, protective cases we have now, Palm Pilots had these little, you know, plastic uh, shields that went over them. Uh, but if you dropped one, I mean, there's like a 50-50 chance of that thing busting. And that's why I've owned several PDAs, Palm Pilots and Desire and the other ones, is because I broke the screens on them. And so, um, yeah, that that was definitely something that they improved with technology over the years. But anyway, that's enough about PDAs. Let's move on to uh, cell phones. So now let's talk about cell phones. And before I tell you about the cell phones I owned, I have to tell you a story. And that story begins on December 3rd, 1998. Now, a few months before December 3rd, 1998, I bought a Chevy Astro minivan. And there were two reasons for that. One is because my mom had owned a Chevy Astro minivan, and I uh, was used to being in it, riding in it, and I thought it was... uh, I know it seems weird, but I thought it was kind of cool. But the other reason is because uh, around that time, uh, I had started going and looking at um, pro audio 
car competitions, these stereo competitions with guys with huge amounts of speakers. I mean, just insane amounts of power and volume. Uh, and a lot of those were in, I saw a lot of custom Chevy Astros. I mean, they were lowered and, and tricked out ground effects, cool paint jobs and all that. So I wanted, uh, a custom Chevy Astro. And so I bought this, uh, Chevy Astro with like 200,000 miles on it and the paint was kind of faded and, uh, there was nothing cool about it at all. It was a minivan. And it had two running boards. And immediately, uh, I had to do some work on the gas tank. So I took one of the running boards off and left it off. So basically, I had a minivan with one running board that I drove around that, for some reason in my head, I thought was cool. But uh, it was most definitely not cool. So I had this Chevy Astro. And another problem, it had several, many, many problems. Um, but one problem was that uh, some of the... Uh, different things in the dash would blow the fuses. And so when you blew the fuse, then I would drive around with, with um, you know, living with different things or without different options, like um, the dash lights that would light up uh, the speedometer and all those things at night. That would occasionally pop. Uh, and so, you know, different different things would go out. So anyway, uh, at, during this time, I had uh, blown a fuse in the van, and I didn't have any dash lights. And on December 3rd, 1998, I was driving home we had gone uh my wife and i susan had gone out to eat at a chinese restaurant and we were driving home and all of a sudden the van died because it had run out of gas and it had run out of gas because there were no lights in the dash and i couldn't see the gas gauge and this was about nine o'clock at night and it was raining and we were basically in between two interstate exits. So our options were to walk a half a mile, you know, in either direction. So uh, we got out of the van and decided to walk a half a mile in the direction we were facing. Now, this portion of the interstate, there's a small shoulder, like an emergency lane, which is kind of where I was parked. And then... You know, you could walk in the grass, but it was on like a sloped ditch. So you couldn't walk too far down, you know, or you'd fall down this ditch. So I was walking along the side of the interstate and my wife was to my right. And she kept saying, you know, get away from the road, get away from the road. It's dangerous to be up there. And so we had actually um, come to uh, where there was a guardrail. And so traffic is, you know, to my left coming from our backs and then there's a guardrail, and I'm walking outside the guardrail, you know, away from traffic, and my wife is next to me, and we are holding hands and walking. And all of a sudden, I hear this, like, screeching sound, and um, I kind of turn around and look, and all of a sudden, I get hit by a car. Um, and it was a, a truck that was, a pickup truck that was sliding sideways, and it hit me in the back. And launched me about 30 feet through the air into the other side of this ditch. And um, so I landed and I couldn't breathe and I thought I was dead. So I, um, you know, I was laying there in a, at the bottom of this ditch, face down in this water. And I lifted my head up and I couldn't breathe and I just thought that that was it. I honestly thought that I was going to die. And so my wife, who had just witnessed this, starts chasing after the car. And this another car pulled over. 
to assist the people in the pickup. And the, the people in the pickup had lost control of their car and spun out and were sliding sideways and came off the road and had hit me while they were sliding sideways. So they had come up up and over the guardrail uh, and then hit me. And so I, what, the, what they said was, is that at the very last second, I must have kind of jumped a little bit. Maybe I was trying to get out of the way. I don't really remember that exact part. But, um, and so when the car hit me, it, it hit me up. Like a like when you would hit a baseball with a bat. If I hadn't jumped, uh, then it would have just run me over and pretty much just killed me right there. Also, if I hadn't been on the other side of the guardrail, then it obviously it would have killed me. It would have run me over. And um, if I'd have been actually about two or three inches closer to traffic, it would have just hit me in the middle of the back and broke my back. So uh, lots of bad things could have happened. But... Um, Basically, uh, once I caught my breath, um, you know, these people were trying to call 911 because they'd wrecked their car. They had no idea that they had actually hit me. And so my wife ran up there and grabbed the phone out of their hand and started screaming, oh my God, you just killed my husband and called 911. And so there's a whole long story that goes with this. I went to the hospital and, um, to make a long story short, I got four stitches and that was on my arm which is where the car that originally hit me. And it just, um, it didn't tear anything. It just hit me so hard that it part of my, just like right around my elbow busted open. Uh, and then I had a, a bruise about the size of a medium pizza in the middle of my back. And, uh, it turned to every color a bruise could ever turn. <laughs> uh, it was green, uh, purple, yellow, red, you name it. The bruise was that color. I had it for a good solid month. Um, and, um, you know, I had a lot of pain in my legs and in my back and eventually the swelling went down and it all just kind of went away. So I, I, I have some, uh, lower back issues from time to time, but really if that's, you know, the worst I got after being hit by a car, you know, I tell people, uh, you know, the truck got totaled and I walked away. So <laughs> I came out pretty good out of that deal. The reason I'm telling you that story is because, up until that time, we had uh, my wife and I had both said there's no reason for us to ever own a cell phone. Uh, and the next day, well, not the next day because uh, there was a, about a week where I didn't really walk much. But uh, I'm sure before Christmas that year is when I bought my first cell phone. And I bought a StarTac flip phone. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen these little things. They almost look like a Star Trek communicator. They're little plastic phones and, and the the part you talked into flipped out and then there was a little plastic antenna that I'm, I just can't imagine the antenna really did anything but it flipped up and down so i bought a star trek phone star tac tac phone because of that because of the night that i got hit by a truck and we didn't have any way to call help you know if i'd had a phone that night um you know i could have called somebody to bring me gas or to come get me or whatever but instead you know, we were we were basically stuck there, and um, we had to walk. So, um, so I had a StarTech phone, and I had that for a little while. And um, I specifically remember one day pulling clothes out of the dryer and then pulling that phone out with it. <laughs> and that was the problem with um, you know early phones is it, people. I guess it, me, uh, but a lot of people weren't used to carrying them around. So, uh, they did tend to end up in the wash. Um, but, um, so that's what happened to my StarTac. And then 
when I got rid of that, I bought a Nokia 5160. And you may not know the name, Nokia 5160, but I'm sure if you were around during that time, you know which one it was. It was the Nokia with the interchangeable faceplates. So uh, Nokia had a cell phone, and you could change out um, the faceplates. <clears throat> and so it came, like, with a black one, and then, you know, you could get, like, different colors, like a red phone or, a, you know, a blue phone. But then what was really cool is you could find uh, custom ones, and you could find them anywhere. I mean, they were on, you know, eBay was just coming out. I mean, this is probably, like, I don't know, 2000, something like that. Um, so you could get on eBay and find them. You could go to the flea market and I mean, they would have millions of them to choose from. And, and you know, the ones at the flea market would be like the most ghetto, like $5, like somebody had printed out a sticker and just stuck it on there, but I didn't even care. Cause I had like, you know, 30 <laughs> different covers, um, for my phone, you know, like I had one that looked like a dollar bill and I had, I had a blue one that had the Atari logo on it, and it, it looked all digital, you know. And and um, I had one that was like, uh, like a almost looked like a rainbow, like a raster color scroll, like it went from blue to red to orange to yellow or something. Uh, but I had, you know, so I would change them out like every day. I just thought that was such a cool thing. And you could even get replacement um, the little number pad that went inside there. So like the dollar bill one I had came with green numbers and stuff. So I was constantly. Uh, you know, changing the faceplate on my phone. And then um, I we went to Vegas, and this would have been, um, let's see. I want to say, no, I don't know. I have to look it up. But we went to Vegas for um, our anniversary. I think it was in 2003. Um, but we got a rental car. I remember that. And we flew out there. And when we flew back, the minute I got on the plane, I realized I had left my phone in the rental car. And so we ended up calling and they were like, nope, never saw it. Don't know what to tell you. I mean, it was just gone, you know? And the problem with it was even though the, the 91 or the 5160 was kind of outdated at that time, I I had like... 30 faceplates to go with it. So I ended up buying another 5160. Uh, and I had that for a long time, you know, and just because it's just like, um, you know, at work sometimes like, like I, I got a laptop for work and, and I got a docking station and, um, you know, a power supply and that's it. But I bought an additional docking station to go with it. And I found another power supply. And so you build up all these things. And then when a better laptop comes along, uh, and it's time to upgrade, you know, you lose out on all those extras and stuff. So that's why, you know, I could have upgraded to a different cell phone at that time, but I'd already invested all this money in, you know, multiple chargers and um, all these faceplates and stuff. So I did get another 5160, and um, it had this little nub of an antenna. It didn't retract or anything. It was just like a nub that stuck out at the top. And I remember one day I sat down in the car, and it must have been just right, and I heard it break. I mean, the antenna thing broke off. And it was like little pieces, like I was going to try to glue it back together, and it just, it was toast. It was done. Uh, and then so, that would have been about 2004 maybe, and then I upgraded and I bought the Palm Trio, which was, uh, Palm Pilot had basically moved into the cell phone arena, so they had taken the uh, functionality of the old Palm, 
uh, and they replaced the graffiti with a hard keyboard, so now you could type on it. Um, and I was able to export, you know, all my Palm Pilot information and import it into the Palm Trio. And uh, I've told many people, I told people at the time, the Palm Trio does everything great except for it's a horrible phone. Um, I mean, right off the bat, I remember I when I got it, I turned the volume all the way up and I couldn't hear anybody talking to me. And there was actually like a firmware hack that you could install that would let you turn the volume up to like 150% or something. And that was the only way I could even hear people talking to me. So, I mean, when you have to hack your phone to be able to use it as a phone, there's some problems going on there. Um, but I did have the, uh, the trio for a long time and I don't, really remember why I got rid of that, but eventually, so I got on this, I've been on this for a long time, so bear with me here, uh, but I, I I really grew over the years to dislike Macintoshes <laughs> uh, and Apple, and not old school Apples, like Apple IIs and 2GSs or whatever, but with Macs in the 90s came this real elitist attitude, you know, where it was like, well, we don't want to be crappy PC people. Well, I liked being a crappy PC person. And so, you know, so, I mean, you could do a whole whole show probably about, you know, Apple versus Mac, uh, I mean, Mac versus PC and all that stuff, you know. Um I mean, it's still still there today, you know. I mean, recently, the, the commercials, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, you know, there's those stereotypes. And the stereotypes come from both sides, too. I mean, PC people have stereotypes about Mac users and vice versa. So, um, basically, when I got rid of my Palm Trio, I was like, I will get anything but an iPhone. Like, I would talk into a shoe, <laughs> a Coffee can with string before I will own an iPhone. I mean, I was that dead set against owning an Apple product because it was like you had to get into the whole Apple sphere. You know what I mean? Like you had to get into iTunes. You had to get into all these things. I didn't want to be a part of all that stuff. So I bought a Samsung Blackjack. And um, it was a smartphone without being an iPhone. Uh, it had apps, it had, you know, all these different things, it had games on it, it had, um, you know, productivity stuff, and um, so I, you know, so that, it worked, and it was an alternative to owning an iPhone, but eventually, you know, when you're, when you have the, the phone that's not what everybody's developing for, then you don't get to do the new stuff. You know, I would hear people talking about, oh, you know, I, I have you know, this new game or this new game, oh, well, guess what? It's not available for the Samsung Blackjack, but it's available for the iPhone. So, and I, I could probably do an offshoot about MP3 players as well. I'm not going to, but I, I had the same thing where I was going to own anything but an iPod. So I owned a bunch of crappy knockoff MP3 players because I refused to buy an iPod. And, um, you know, I had a creative nomad for a long time which I really liked, um, but, and it, you know, I had a little small screen, and it had a little, like, a jog jog wheel instead of the touch screen and all this stuff. So, I mean, it worked, and it had all my music on it, and, and um, you know, it, it worked just fine, but, you know, it didn't do what the iPad, or, sorry, what the iPod did. 
And so eventually I broke down and bought myself an iPod. And, um, I mean, especially then, how could you not love it? You know, I mean, all of a sudden you had your apps, you had the iTunes store, you had the app store, um, you know, you could put games, you could do all this stuff. So I was like, well, at least I don't have an iPhone. You know, I have an iPod, but I don't have an iPhone. And then somebody basically told me, you know, an iPhone is just an iPod that also makes calls pretty much. And, um, so, you know, I guess the, uh, iPod was like my gateway device, um, into the Apple sphere. Um, you know, based on the iPod and my experience with that, I ended up buying an iPhone 3GS, uh, which I had for a long time. And actually now my son has. So, I mean, we've had it for a long, long time. And, um, uh, we ended up giving it to him when I bought the 4S and my wife has an iPhone 5 now. So somehow we went from, you know, basically refusing to be Apple people to now all four of us. I, I couldn't even tell you all the Apple stuff. Uh, I mean, we still haven't made that, that step over into um, Apple computers, but uh, I mean, not anything released uh, since <laughs> 85 or so. But um, uh, yeah, we all have iPods, we have iPads, we have iPhones. So we, we kind of just, fell into the whole thing and so uh with my next phone i don't know uh you know i see all these other um galaxies and and all android based phones but it you know it kind of goes back to what i talked about with the pda where uh once you've invested i mean i have iphone charger cables all over the house i have um you know music boxes uh that have iphone docks we have an iphone cable for the car we have all these things so when you you know move away from that when you move to another device you're going to have to rebuy a lot of that stuff. So, uh, I don't know, but, uh, I'm pretty happy with uh, the state of the, the phone right now. So, but, uh, so that's, that's, um, uh, my history with, uh, cell phones and PDAs, um, and pagers. So it's funny how that pager really just died off. You know, I wonder if there's a pager app for the phone. I'll have to check into that. Anyway, I think that wraps up episode 130. Thank you guys for bearing with me during the um, barren stretch that we had there, the little dry spell, but uh, we're back on track. Um, I do have a couple other work trips coming up in the near future, so I will um, plan accordingly. Maybe I'll be recording, God forbid, early uh, to have a show ready before um, I actually have to leave on a trip, so... We'll see what happens. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. I also, again, I want to thank uh, Vintage Volts uh, for sponsoring this episode. Like I said, uh, if you like old gadgets, you like uh, anything like that, old electronics, if you like this episode, go check out Vintage Volts at VintageVolts.com. It's the way electronics used to be. There's so many cool stuff there. Uh, I just, you know, I was reading a whole article. He's got a big article up right now about the Zoom Floppy, which is something I've talked about in previous episodes. It's the uh, USB adapter that hooks to a PC and allows you to hook up a uh, old-school Commodore 1541 drive to your PC. So, yeah, if you're into uh, retro electronics of any kind, be sure to check out Vintage Volts. Anyway, that's it for episode 130. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate all the stuff that you guys uh, uh, send me, all the feedback, all the emails, the voicemails. 
Uh, I didn't have much time to get into that on this episode, but next episode I will set aside some time for that. If you want to send me feedback, you can email it directly to me at robohara at robohara.com, or you can always leave me a message on the voice mailbox at 206-309-9501. That's it for episode 130, and I will see you guys next week.